Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, where we bring you the news before it becomes news. Well, economists are predicting global financial recession, football's gravy train is accelerating towards another record-breaking deal. What next for Kylian Mbappe? We're going to tell you. Other than that, Manchester United, will they stick with Jadon Sancho or twist to Gareth Bale? And is Pep Guardiola about to break City's transfer records fee again? Plus news on Declan Rice, Inter Milan and Barcelona. I mean, McGarry, with me as always, is the transfer guru, the man that everyone trusts in terms of bringing you the information and bringing you it first. That's Mr. Duncan Castles. And we start off today, Duncan, with a story which you reported regarding the future of probably the best young player in the world and potentially the best player in the world uh, after Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi, uh, a player who will, we think will be exceptional and certainly be a Ballon d'Or winner for many years to come. Um, PSG striker, France World Cup winner. Now, this is going to be a deal which certainly will eclipse anything which we've seen, including the um, 220 million euros which took uh, Neymar to Paris Saint-Germain from Barcelona. Uh, it's your information. We understand that Mbappe has given a year's notice to PSG of his intention to leave the club. In terms of motivation for Mbappe, because he was named um, just this week, Duncan, in the top 10 earning players uh, in, in global football, it's not about money, I don't think. Uh, do we think he feels like he's outgrown Ligue 1 and French football? And where do you see particular transfer going in terms of what is going to be probably the um, most sophisticated and the most expensive auction in the history of the game? Well, I wouldn't say it's not about money. I'm sure Kylian Mbappe, his father and his advisors will be intent on securing a very lucrative deal when he moves clubs. But I think it's fair to say that that is not the priority here. Um, Mbappe has been strategic about his career building and the fact he's at Paris Saint-Germain was a strategic decision. Um, when he moved there for €180 million Euros in 2018, which is still the second highest transfer fee ever paid for a footballer and, of course, the highest for a teenager, he had the option of going to Real Madrid, he had the option of going to Manchester City, he had the option of going to Paris Saint-Germain and... Um, Actually, and I reported this extensively at the time, he had a deal in place with Real Madrid. The salary terms agreed he committed to going there and he reneged on that deal, um, partly because he was concerned that Cristiano Ronaldo was going to leave Madrid that summer and he did not want to be arriving at Real Madrid with the expectation that he was an immediate replacement for Ronaldo. Um, and the, the extra pressure that would place upon him. So he decided to remain in French football, moving from Monaco to Paris Saint-Germain, moving to the capital. Um, obviously a, a hugely um, important deal, but done in the same summer as Neymar came from Barcelona. So it's slightly in the background and uh, allowed to develop with 
without the full glare of headlights upon him. And in a league he already knew, and it, and it has gone exceptionally well. 77 goals and 102 league on a Champions League matches for Paris Saint-Germain. As you say, I mean, you'll find very few people in football who don't think he'll win Ballon d'Or, and in fact, win multiple Ballon d'Or. And um, I think he's demonstrated he has every credential there to be the successor as top footballer in the world to Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, so he moved there on a strategic basis. And my information is that he is leaving on a strategic basis and that Paris Saint-Germain obviously want to retain him. They've made multiple offers of improved contracts, which would greatly increase his salary. And he has turned them all down. And recently he told Paris Saint-Germain in a conversation again over his future that he would not be signing a new contract and that his intention was to leave in a year's time when his current contract would have just one year left. So the, the residual sale value would be reduced and essentially prepare yourself for that eventuality because that's the plan and, um, and I will not be swayed from it is the information I have. Where does he want to go? Well, it's a, a career path that will take him to La Liga or the Premier League. Um, I'm told he has a couple of clubs in each country um, that he's particularly interested in moving to. And in La Liga, it's obvious Real Madrid, who have been lining up a deal for him for some time, um, who have been saving money um, and this year's transfer market with the view to try and purchase the player and give him the contract he would require next summer, or Barcelona, two clubs he likes there. Barcelona, you have to remember, are dealing with the fallout with Lionel Messi, who almost left this month and who will be out of contract in a year's time and could very likely be away and off the wage bill and in need of replacement in one year's time. They also have a new president uh, coming in, um, and we know what happens when new presidents come to Barcelona. They spend big on improving the squad, uh, changing the structure of the team. So both of those clubs are very much in a position where you'd want them to be if you're a player of Kylian Mbappe's quality and you have decided that next summer is the time to make your move out of French football and to La Liga. There is also, though, a strong interest in the Premier League. And the clubs I'm told he likes there are Liverpool in particular. And I don't think this is any secret because we've seen Mbappe talk twice this year about how much he likes Liverpool as a club um, and how much he likes Jurgen Klopp as a manager, um, describing their play as being like a machine, what they've been doing um, as being amazing um, and, and talking uh, in, a, in a quote from uh, earlier this year, performances like they have been having don't just happen to be as ruthless as they have been would come from lots of hard work and training and from having a very good manager. So he's, he's setting up his interest in the best club or the best team in English football at present. He will be aware that Liverpool have three forwards who are turning 29 on very large contracts um, who are central to the way they play, but who Liverpool are open to selling at the right moment should those players want to leave. Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, 
and Roberto Firmino. It's not that Liverpool want to lose them, but as we've talked about in the podcast before, they're very pragmatic about it. They know there's great interest in them. They know they could um, secure substantial transfer fees for any one of them. And um, I've essentially said, if you plan to leave and you have that opportunity, let us know so we can plan replacement. So you can see a, a possibility where Liverpool allow one of those three, particularly I think Sadio Mane or Mohamed Salah, would, would raise the highest transfer fees to go, take their wages off, off their books and try and replace with Kylian Mbappe, who would not be as expensive as he would be in normal circumstances because there's one year left in the contract. The other club he has told friends he's interested in is Manchester United, um, which I, I'm sure would be of great appeal to the Glazers and Ed Woodward to have the opportunity to go after a player of that quality. Interesting to see whether Mbappe's interest in Manchester United is such that he would move to a team who at present are well down the European pecking order. We'll see what happens in the, the coming season. Um, the cultural reboot, well, where that gets them in a year's time and whether they really are attractive enough for a player of Mbappe's quality to decide when he has the option amongst teams of this standard that United is the place he would like to go to. This is truly fascinating um, in terms of... Um, the history of football transfers, Duncan, because not so long ago, uh, transfers, as we both know, having worked in the business for such a long time, um, work in one or two ways. Um, either they happen very quickly because the opportunity arises, a player decides he wants to leave, a club come in who are um, prepared to pay the money and very interested, or secondly, there's a strategic move and this is the more modern way. And certainly Liverpool have been the most successful in executing this particular method where they target the player sometimes 18 months in advance. They begin the conversations with these representatives. They begin the conversations with the player's club. And effectively, they've got it all set up. Um, and they are sure of securing that player uh, before the signing takes place, sometimes months in advance. Now, the reason I point this out is you mentioned that all of Liverpool's trident of strikers are heading towards 30 years of age. Mbappe is the future. But it doesn't mean to say that if Mbappe chooses Liverpool because they have wooed him, they have seduced him, and they have told him, come to us because... We have the history, the tradition. We can make you a superstar in the Premier League. Um, they could probably fund maybe, what, one-third, possibly even 50% of a potential transfer fee from Paris Saint-Germain by selling one or more players. Again, having agreed to sell them in advance. Now, what I'm getting at here is we talk about merry-go-rounds, and that sounds a little bit random in terms of transfers. But if Barcelona and Real Madrid, let's just say, uh, are out of, or certainly out of the um, borderline of Mbappe's intention, but Liverpool could say to one of those clubs or both of those clubs, that we've got Mbappe on tap here, but we're also willing to sell Salah or Firmino or Mane 
or two of and change the way we play, then let's do business. Now, that I think is very, very interesting with regards to how things could work because what we've seen um, in terms of big transfer deals, and as I said at the top of the pod, um, there is going to be an impact of the pandemic in terms of financial recession, then that offsets the cost to all the clubs involved in terms of recruiting at the highest level and the players getting what they want and the clubs getting what they want. Yeah, look, this is one side. It's Mbappe has his strategy and he's warning PSG that he intends to leave in a year's time. It has to be noted he's trying to get out of Paris Saint-Germain. He's trying to get out of one of the two nation-state clubs with essentially infinite financial resources to put into the recruitment and the and the holding of players. Um, Qatar have not allowed players to, who they want to retain to leave easily. And we've seen the way they've managed to keep Neymar, despite his repeated efforts to get out of Paris, um, at the club. So I, I don't think this is a straightforward process. And um, Mbappe will possibly have to um, wait and until the contract actually finishes and have the patience to wait until the contract actually finishes to get out. He's, you know, he, the, he's trying to forewarn and he's trying to play the leverage game of my transfer fee will be diminishing, but there's no guarantee um, a Qatar owned club will say, well, um, okay, we'll let you go next year for, for example, 200 million euros. Um, because we don't want to lose you for nothing in a year's time. They might just say, well, you, you, we signed you for five years, we keep you for five years. Um, the way it has been described to me, there is no priority option for him to go to. Um, the, what I was hearing from someone who's close to him is he likes all of these clubs, he likes these leagues, he will explore and find out what the best option is during this one year period um, before deciding what he does. Um, but I, I think I think because of the club he's trying to leave, it is more complicated. What, what I think it also shows you is that this kind of shift in football away from club power to player power, particularly at the very top end with Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Lionel Messi. Um, we, we've talked about the degree of influence Messi's had at Barcelona and you can see the, the problems that has caused for Barcelona and the disarray the club is in at present because they've shoveled so much money and so much power towards one player. Now you've got Paris Saint-Germain who you know, broke records to recruit Neymar and Mbappe, um, paid them very high wages, but ultimately have to deal with the player's own intentions for his career and, and his plan that he doesn't spend the entirety of it in French football and, in fact, wants to leave at age, what would be age 22, um, to go to a different league. How do the big clubs cope with that? Um, what's the compromise solution? Is there a compromise solution or do you end up with, you know, two years of disagreement between the parties until... Mbappe forces the move under freedom of contract. It's a different scenario to where football was um, certainly a decade ago. To be fair, Duncan, there are very few players 
not just in modern football, but in the history of football, who almost, and I stress, almost guarantee you're going to win trophies if you have them in your team. And obviously the records of Cristiano Ronaldo, Leo Messi, Slatan Ibrahimovic, we have to say, you know, um, record-breaking consecutive league titles in four different leagues. Uh, James Miller obviously comes up there as well. Uh, Mbappe's certainly one for the future. Um, So whichever club he joins, he has that Midas touch where you can almost guarantee that his influence will win you titles. And that's what makes him different from other players. So uh, with regards to any um, bidding war and, as I said, the the seduction of Kylian Mbappe and his ambitions, uh, I think will be uh, something which is going to be extraordinary in the next 12 months because clearly uh, a young man with very big ambitions for his career has decided he wants to further them outside of what's considered one of the weaker of the top five leagues in Europe. From a man who may well uh, see the Ballon d'Or changed to the Mbappe d'Or uh, in future years, like the, the way that uh, Brazil was awarded um, the Old World Cup for winning it three times, um, we go to Gareth Bale, uh, a four-time European champion who is trophy-laden but finds himself as effectively a minister without portfolio at Real Madrid. We have information regarding uh, some movement uh, in terms of Bale's potential move away from the Santiago Bernabeu this summer, something which, interestingly, he has always denied any kind of uh, will on his part to leave Madrid. However, uh, while on international duty with Wales in the past 10 days to two weeks, he spoke openly about uh, his desire to play football again um, instead of golf and also that uh, Madrid were blocking his ability to leave the Spanish capital and join another club. Now, Duncan, um, it has been uh, reported that Manchester United have a vested interest in Bale uh, just in case their move for Jaden Sancho, who will we, we will come on to um, after the Bale discussion. Um, but also a new development in terms of who wants Bale and how this might go. Yeah, I'm told that Daniel Levy has, has entered this discussion now that Bale has made it clear he wants to leave and it is it's quite a radical change in the Gareth Bale situation because Madrid have been trying to shift his wages away and off their books um, for years now, um, led primarily by Zinedine Zidane, and Bale has resisted the moves um, and made it clear that he was happy to stay in Spain, um, happy to continue at Madrid um, and, and not made it straightforward. Um, for other clubs who've been interested in signing him to take him. Now, as you say, Bale's talked um, on the record openly um, that he wants to play football again. He have the European Championship, which Wales are qualified for coming up. So I think there's a motivation there to be playing football. Um, Zidane's made it clear that he's completely out of the picture at Madrid. So he's not looking at being a, 
a bench or a squad player, he's looking at no football. Um, if Zidane sticks to his word, should he remain at Madrid for that year? Um, so you now have a realistic situation and, and uh, Madrid saying that they will sell for 20 million euros and, uh, and open to loans where they would subsidise part of his extremely substantial salary um, at Madrid. Um, so it, it's become less complicated. It's still complicated, but less complicated than it has been in, in past summers. And, uh, and Daniel Levy, uh, I'm told, is now exploring that possibility of taking Bale back to Tottenham um, on a loan. Obviously, he'll try and get as much of the salary paid by Madrid as possible. And I'm told he's aware that Manchester United um, have been in negotiations over this and have set up a kind of provisional loan deal. That's Levy's information. And, and therefore is fighting to try and get the player uh, to Tottenham instead. Obviously, Tottenham are in the market for a forward. Um, Mourinho has made no secret of his need for a, a reinforcement and attack. It's interesting that they move for Bale because what Mourinho actually has been looking for is a backup, um, primarily number nine, someone who can cover for Harry Kane should he get injured again, as he did mid-season, to create damage to that, that first campaign of his at, uh, at Naming Rights Lane, um, but also someone who can play in other positions in the attack. Now, Bale can play as a number nine, but he doesn't really play as the kind of number nine that, that Mourinho likes to have with the, the sort of degree of aerial dominance and the, the ability to, to be a target and hold the ball up and build attacks. So from a sporting perspective, probably not the ideal solution for Mourinho, but uh, you can see why it's attractive to Levy to try and, and uh, throw something to the fans of, of bringing a, a player who was so popular and so successful at Tottenham back to the club. Now he's on the market. Now his representatives are making moves to try and get him a switch in the remaining weeks of this window. Call me cynical if you will, but um, it's not um, unfamiliar to a lot of people in the game that Daniel Levy and Jonathan Barnett, um, who is Bill's representative, are very close. Uh, they have done many, many deals over the years, uh, including, of course, Bale's move to Spurs uh, from Southampton, as well as his, at the time, uh, record-breaking transfer to Real Madrid. So it is um, fair to say that it's a very mutually beneficial um, relationship with regards to Bale's career. I just wonder, Duncan, we know that United are a little bit uh, cautious with regards to Jadon Sancho. But I would suggest that the chasm between spending, or so not spending, but investing around um, 150 million euros, uh, probably more than that with regards to wages plus fees and bonuses in a 20-year-old England international and spending money on a 31-year-old with uh, six months of barely playing football and an incredibly high salary, even if Madrid are going to subsidise it on a one-year loan. There is a huge difference between those two propositions for Manchester United and for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. 
And I just wonder, and this is where I go back to my cynicism, if perhaps there is a little bit of mischief here in terms of Spurs' interest, not necessarily being as genuine as is being portrayed, but uh, there being some kind of little quid pro quo regarding, well, this might try and leverage United into a decision on bail uh, rather than it being the case that bail is not, as far as my information is concerned, a priority for Manchester United. But on the basis that they might lose out on him, uh, especially with the Spurs, then perhaps this is something which um, might just move the process forward a little bit. Ian, I think the key thing here is that Bale is not first choice for Manchester United. We all know that. Um, he has come on the agenda at a very late stage because Bale and his representatives have made it clear that he wants to play football this season. Um, we told you some time ago that Manchester United were exploring alternative options if they couldn't get um, the Jaden Sancho deal completed. And one of those was Ousmane Dembele. Can tell you that Barcelona's position on Dembele has switched from one in which they were uh, open to talking about loan moves to one in which they are now saying that it would only be a transfer fee switch that they're prepared to do now that um, Koeman is in charge of the club. Um, so that one of those options has been extracted away. Ivan Perisic has been offered to them, which would be ironic if they did sign Perisic a couple of years after. Um, Mourinho proposed him as an, a solution to their uh, their problems on the wing, and uh, and the deal wasn't done because it was it was considered to be too expensive, and then went on to um, become a Champions League winner with with Bayern Munich. Um, there are a limited range of alternative options, and I think the key element here is what Manchester United's position on Sancho is. Um, obviously, they have not been able to complete that deal, but they have a few weeks left to do so. And I believe you have information on why um, there has been a further delay on the completion and, and Manchester United's belief that they can get the deal done with Dortmund before the deadline arrives, which would take Dembele, uh, Perisic, Douglas Costa, Juventus, another player who's been offered to them, who's, who is surplus to requirements in Italy and has a you know, questionable injury record, off the table and get them back to the player that they identified as the key uh, recruit for this summer and a key part of um, the very clearly stated strategy of moving towards English players and young players who would be... Um, stars and important figures in the team for multiple years, which is something that Gareth Bale obviously cannot be, um, regardless of, of whether they would they do a deal with Madrid for him this summer or not. Well, we have been consistent, um, very consistent, Duncan, throughout um, the summer window with regards to United and Sancho. Uh, certainly United believed uh, that they, uh, and still believe they have a deal in place with the player on a five-year contract. Uh, we reported only to you last week that uh, the deal was being held up because of certain bonus payments, which are due to Sancho from Borussia Dortmund, which uh, are part of the upgrade contract, which he signed last summer, um, and that those dates uh, have yet to mature. 
but those the money involved in that um, is more important to his representatives and, and a family member who are part of the representation team. Um, probably just as uh, important is that Sancho uh, has made it clear to several of his England colleagues who currently play for United at Old Trafford that he believes that he will join them in this window. And so Solskjaer, while feeling a little bit conscious and a little bit frustrated that Sancho's yet to join up with the rest of his squad with just a few days left until they play the first Premier League match of the campaign, has been reassured and told consistently again by the club's administrators that they believe the deal will get done. What is happening right now is that there is a standoff between Borussia Dortmund and Manchester United with regards to what the fee should be and the payment structure. We've already um, told you the detail of this. Uh, it was based on what the upfront fee would be and what the uh, add-ons would be on top of that. However, United believe that if they leave the final negotiation until the last week of the window, that Dortmund, who do not have any other offers for the player, that's very important, and they want to maximise their profit on the player as well, will eventually cave in and agree to the terms that United have already offered, and perhaps they may even get a more of a discount on the actual transfer fee itself. Because there is, and this will be reported, Manchester United's uh, quarterly reports are due next week for the three months where COVID closed football down. And uh, United uh, board members have been warned that they will not look good because the revenues for match day uh, etc. Uh, catering, obviously, um, and everything that goes with that in terms of liquidity uh, are going to be completely wiped out. Now, that will have an impact on what United spend. Same thing, for, of course, for every other club in Europe um, who have experienced uh, lockdown and, of course, no fans to the turnstiles. So the belief is that on the basis that there will be a further uh, decline in football finances in the next 12 months, that Dortmund will come round to the idea that they must cash in now on Jadon Sancho at a very high rate of profit. And United will get, albeit not a hugely different deal from the one that they have proposed, but it will be better than the one they believed that they had agreed, uh, especially in terms of the payment plan over the course of the five-year contract, which of course means they're indemnified against paying the entire transfer fee up front. So um, it's still the case, uh, and I think this is the reason why we almost talk about this, Duncan, on a weekly basis on the podcast. Uh, and obviously, my United fans are um, tweeting us all the time and saying, please give us a Sancho update, give us a Sancho update. Well, the update is really just kind of similar to the one we've always said. And that is, barring a catastrophic collapse of all of the talks that have taken place and all of the tacit verbal agreements which have been reached, then Sancho will still become a Manchester player before the window closes next month. 
I think also important to, to add here is that one of the players that Dortmund had identified as a replacement for Sancho should he be sold. And remember, Dortmund are on record as saying um, when they, they announced that they would put a deadline on that deal, that they would replace Sancho should he be sold um, with a cheaper player. Um, Jonathan Oconi at Lille remains on the market. Lille have been open to selling him this window. They've had conversations with Dortmund, which we reported on the podcast, I think, a couple of months ago now. Um, other clubs have made inquiries for Iconi. Um, There have been verbal offers for the player, but I'm told they have not got close enough to uh, Lille's original asking price of €45 million Euros for Lille to accept them. So... From the perspective of Manchester United, you have that added bonus if you're playing this brinksmanship of take it to the last week in order to shift uh, some millions off the fee or change them in the, the, the structure so it's slightly more financial beneficial to Manchester United. You know that one of the players at present that Dortmund were looking to replace Sancho with is still available on the market. So it helps um, that you can say to Dortmund, well, you can still get um, for probably, well, significantly less than half of the fee that United would pay for Sancho, a direct replacement into the squad and carry on your strategy of picking off good young players from Europe, putting them in the Bundesliga for a couple of years, having them succeed and then selling them to clubs like Manchester United for big profits down the line. It's fair to say, Duncan, that the biggest spenders in this window uh, have been Premier League clubs. Uh, and we're not just talking about top four or top six. Um, clubs at Wills have also invested. Uh, clubs in the lower half of the league have also invested um, sizable sums of money in terms of uh, what they can afford compared to the deficit they face with regards to um as we've mentioned, lack of liquidity in gate and catering and merchandise receipts uh, for fans coming through turnstiles and home games. But of course, also the money which has to be repaid to the broadcasting contracts. Still, however, apparently clubs have spent in a manner which has been almost normal, not quite, whereas on the continent that's not been the case. Now, the chairman of Napoli, has uh, threatened to take Kaladu Koulibaly off the market unless he receives a fee which is acceptable for his um, international centre-back by the coming weekend. We've reported in the podcast, as you all know, of Manchester City's interest. We understand that there is no current competition to City's interest in Koulibaly and certainly not at the price which uh, Napoli are asking. Uh, our information is that the latest offer which has been made by City is at 60 million euros plus 3 million in add-ons. That may sound low in terms of add-ons, Duncan, but of course you're talking about a 29-year-old, so there's no real resale value in this player and certainly no sell-on value either. So I'd say that's pretty fair. Uh, De Laurentiis has consistently said he's worth more than that. However, having spoken to someone very close to the deal, uh, I've been informed that an agreement is getting closer 
And it is expected that Manchester City will conclude this transfer. However, reports in Spain, Duncan, have suggested an interest in another player, but one that would cost a hell of a lot more than Koulibaly. Yeah, this is Jose Jimenez at Atletico Madrid. Um, We reported on the podcast, I think a couple of months ago now, that Manchester City had made an inquiry to Atletico about his availability and been told that, yeah, you can sign him, but it's going to cost you €120 million, which is his release clause. We're not prepared to compromise on that. Um, Those who listened to the podcast last week will have heard you reporting that it City had been advised that one of the ways to get De Laurentiis to conclude this deal would be to make an offer for one of the other players at centre-back who could go straight into Manchester City's team and be the starting centre-back alongside a medical report. Um, and lo and behold, this week we see reports in the Spanish papers of that €89 million Euro guaranteed fee bid for MNS as um you're telling us that uh, City are continuing to pursue Koulibaly. Uh, they know there isn't competition for them and just trying to get De Laurentiis to conclude a deal. Certainly the information I have from Italy um, is that they do not believe De Laurentiis is serious about taking him off the market. Napoli need the money. They, remember, are committed and have already signed some time ago Victor Asimhen from Leo for 80 million euros, very substantial fee. And uh, when they did that, the plan was to raise cash from Koulibaly. Koulibaly had been told he would be leaving this summer. Um, he told teammates they expected to be moving to Manchester City. Gennaro Gattuso had been told by De Laurentiis that Koulibaly would be sold. So the plan has always been to cash in on the player after a mediocre season by his standards this summer. They have a buyer in Manchester City who want him, but will only do it at a certain price. Um, It looks like that process that you predicted would happen last week, Ian, is currently in play. And we should see Koulibaly moving to Manchester City at the end of it. So from the beautiful west coast of Bella Italia to the beautiful east end of London, Duncan, where he... Let's just say, I would say unrest. I'm not going to go as far as saying mini-revolution, but um, there is certainly upset in the West Ham United dressing room uh, over the sale of Grady Diangana, who spent last season on loan at West Brom and who has now been transferred on a permanent basis. This led to uh, the club captain, uh, Mr West Ham himself, Mark Noble, using his Twitter account to express his dissatisfaction and disappointment that the board had sold what he described as one of their own and a player with a big future. And he was backed up by, I think, four or five of his teammates. Now, we have uh, spoken a lot, Duncan, about Chelsea's interest in Declan Rice um, and Frank Lampard's desire to make him the fulcrum of a three-man defensive setup this season. I think uh, anyone who watched uh, Chelsea's uh, victory over Brighton and over Albion on Monday night uh, will have seen that that defence is still looking very fragile. Um, and it's not just Kepa, Aritha Balaga. It's also the defensive pairings um, 
both in the centre and in the wide positions as well. Uh, and it's Lampard's uh, ambition to be able to put together uh, a defence which is going to play three at the back and with two wing backs and play 3-4-3 three, three, and then 5-3-2 without the ball. So Declan Rice is one of those who has um, shared Mark Noble's frustrations regarding um, the departure of Diangana and indeed uh, made his point that uh, his ambitions are to play Champions League football and probably more importantly, um, or just as importantly, we should say, uh, to uh, augment his place in Gareth Southgate's England, England squad, where, of course, he was one of the better performers in recent Nation League matches during the international break. Um, it's an interesting one, Duncan. I think once um, a dressing room becomes fractured, in uh, my experience, and I'm sure yours as well, um, it's difficult to repair. And, of course, Noble was then substituted uh, when probably he wouldn't have expected to be uh, in that dreadful uh, defeat to Newcastle United uh, last weekend. Now, whether or not that was tactical or whether it was disciplinary because of what had been said, uh, I, you know, only obviously David Moyes would be able to reveal and he didn't want to reveal that. Uh, it certainly seems to be the case that there is a fissure uh, at this moment in time which could develop into a major crack with regards to West Ham United and we're only, only one game in to the season. Yeah, Declan Rice was one of the, the players at West Ham United who responded to Noble's tweet about the Angana sale um, by liking it. So um, very prominent, not as prominent as Jack Wilshire, um, who's responded to a post from Grady on, on uh, Instagram by saying, go and do your things at a club that respects you. You can see that there is um, a discontent within the camp at how West Ham United have, have operated their transfer business. Um, someone pointed out that the co-chairman, David Gold, as, as recently as last year, um, was on social media himself, saying there's absolutely no reason why we can't be playing in the Champions League within the next five years. Um, there certainly seems to be plenty of reasons why they can't be playing in the Champions League if they carry on. Uh, I'd, say, I'd say the reason is they're not good enough, yeah. That'd be the best best reason why that's not the case. <laughs> yes. Um, and from Declan Rice's point of view, you have the opportunity to move to Chelsea. You have the opportunity to go to the Champions League immediately. You have the opportunity to join a squad which has been aggressively um, reinforced this summer and where Roman Abramovich is targeting uh, competing for the Premier League title again. He's not going to get any of that at West Ham United this season and, and probably not for the foreseeable future. Um, as you say, playing for Chelsea, being a starter, having the faith of the manager, um, having to be a central figure in, in a defensive setup that clearly needs strengthening. Um, should only improve his chances of uh, being a starter for England through the season in the European Championship. There will be a substantial pay rise involved. Um, you know at West Ham United that generally uh, Messrs Golden Sullivan, when they're presented with large transfer fee um, proposals for players, that they sell them, which is of course what they did with Diangana. So it, 
it does not bode well for West Ham United fans who are unhappy about the makeup of their squad and the transfer business that um, that Declan Rice is, uh, agrees with his captain that a bad decision was made over um, one of their best young players. I think that phrase, Duncan, uh, go and play for a club that appreciates and respects you is kind of telling as well. Um, so, yeah, um, I think this... Could be, I mean, listen, I'm, this is not a cynical point of view, unlike well, the one I had expressed earlier in the podcast. I think it's fair enough for a young player like Rice, who's got everything ahead of him, um, and who, of course, was a Chelsea Academy graduate as well, to want to return to the club and be put in a position where he is a cornerstone of what's an exciting uh, project as we have seen with regards to the over £200 million spent in this window so far by the club in their recruitment strategy to ensure that Frank Lampard has the best possible options of a successful season. One person who's a former Chelsea manager, Duncan, uh, who we have spoken about a lot, Antonio Conte, does not seem to be in the best of positions again at Internazionale Milan. we know that he has um, been at odds with the club's uh, owners stroke directors, uh, that he has been making quite um, extreme and extraordinary uh, requests for players. Uh, he is someone who is, seems to be never happy with the squad he has. Clearly, he did not win a trophy in his first season in charge. And even though it appeared that they had reached a kind of an easy truce, uh, it is our information with regards to um, speaking to sources in Italy uh, that uh, Conte has again um, been winding people up, asking for five new players in this window, uh, despite the fact there is no money uh, until he sells. Uh, and you have some information with regards to buy to sell, which we'll come on to. And interestingly as well, one of our very good sources has told us that uh, they believe there is, or there has been a conversation with former Spurs manager, Mircea Pochettino, about the possibility of taking over for the next uh, Scudetto campaign. Um, What's your take on this, Duncan? Because it's something which you know we are close to, and I think it's something as well. This situation which we're interested in anyway in the transfer window podcast. Well, we did quite an extensive section on this at the end of August. Um, we said that at that time, Inter had examined the possibility of sacking Conte when Conte started calling them out in public towards the end of the the Italian season before the Europa League concluded um, after it, he'd failed to bring the Serie A title back when presented with that um, opportunity that Juventus's weaknesses and Maurizio Sarri's bad decision-making had, had provided to them. Um, that they were extremely unhappy with his behaviour. Um, they saw his threat to leave the club um, if he didn't get what he wanted in the transfer market and didn't get the degree of um, internal support that he said had been lacking from the club and that the directors had failed to defend him when the media were criticising him and his team through the season. 
and essentially were of the opinion, well, if he wants to leave, we're quite happy to let him go. Um, they talked to Max Allegri um, to explore whether he'd be prepared to take over at Inter, um, which he was interested in, in doing. But as we've seen with Conte in previous jobs, particularly at Chelsea, um, his desire to leave the club wasn't so great that he was prepared to go without compensation. Um, my information is that Inter looked uh, and consulted with lawyers to see if what he had said and his actions were sufficient that they could uh, cancel his contract without penalty and were advised that although some of it was questionable, there was no guarantee they would win in court. And um, obviously with Conte, you know that he's prepared to go to court and fight these things and, and has won successfully in the past with Chelsea. Also, um, they, uh, his contract is such that they would have had to pay 48 million euros um, to pay him off uh, and to sack him. And they still have uh, a substantial um, indemnity on Luciano Spalletti's sacking. Um, the coach they got rid of to bring Conte in. So the decision was that they could not afford to do it. You then have, from what you're telling us, Conte doing what he has done before. They came to an uneasy agreement that they would carry on with each other. But Conte is still pushing them for more players, um, pushing for more spending, um, pressuring them when they feel he hasn't uh, achieved as much as he should have done and, and certainly hasn't behaved in the manner they expected from him um, or they expect for a coach of Inter. So it, it does look fractious. They were negotiating with Barcelona over the, the potential sale of Lautaro Martinez, which would have brought in substantial uh, revenue from a transfer fee, which would have allowed them to restructure a bit. So that's not going to happen because Barcelona now have a deal uh, in place with Olympic Lyonnais to take Memphis Depay, um, which be, who is far, far cheaper than Lautaro would have been and is known to Ronald Koeman. Koeman happier with that deal because he's, he's worked with Depay for the, the Dutch national team and, uh, and happy to have him integrate into the squad. And uh, that, I'm told, is the end of the interest in, in Lautaro. So doesn't make it any easier for Inter to to buy and satisfy Conte um, at a time when uh, he's winding them up again. Sorry. This is uh, your early week edition of the Transfer Window podcast, which means we will end this particular pod with our hero and villain section. I'm going to hand over to Duncan to give you his hero of the week before I will deliver you your villain. Um, hero of the week is the former head referee in English football, Keith Hackett, who um, talking about a favourite of the, uh, the transfer podcast, Dermot Gallagher, the, uh, the propagandist in chief who, who sits in Premier League television and explains why almost every VAR decision and almost every refereeing decision is correct in his view. And, um, didn't know the mechanics of, of VAR and was telling us it earlier last season that it was millimetre accurate for offside decisions and we just had to, to go with it. Talking about Dermot Gallagher's commentary on the Crystal Palace Southampton game and the uh, red card Kyle Walker-Peters that was then rescinded by John Moss. Um, he says, I used to be Dermot's boss 
Law knowledge was a weakness. This weekend, he supported John Moss' red card on BT, then Moss changed it to yellow. His salary is paid by the PGMOL, and I think that's the, the key line here, is that uh, the supposed independent commentator on Premier League refereeing decisions, who uh, is used on a frequent basis to justify how good they are, is paid by the referee's body and Keith Hackett, I think, um, deserves credit for pointing that out when he is a, a person who used to run the Premier League refereeing body. And of course, um, those of you with any kind of uh, Scottish uh, vernacular or indeed golf vernacular will love the irony of a referee being called Keith Hackett. Um, apart from that, the villain of the week, who's also a hero, I have to say, and I do like to blur the the line sometimes for me, is uh, Neymar, um, who was involved in an extraordinary incident in the weekend's Liga match uh, against um, Marseille for PSG, which they lost 1-0. That's two games they've now lost. They're opening two games. When um, he alleged that the um, Marseille player, Alvaro Gonzalez, has racially abused him. Um, However, the villain part of this particular Uh, nomination is that he punched him in the back of the head and uh, even Neymar himself uh, said uh, in a Twitter rant afterwards and a very lengthy statement that his own regret was, I quote, not hitting that asshole in the face. Um, So fair enough. um, But um, and we should say that uh, Gonzalez has denied he racially abused Neymar. However, if it is the case, and it's proven to be the case, and of course the uh, French Football Federation are investigating all of this, then uh, Neymar, you may suspect, would have been justified in his actions, uh, although, however, he may well have have uh, protested in a more peaceful way. Uh, so my villain stroke hero for this week is Neymar, um, and uh, we will see... Uh, what the outcome is with regards to um, the investigation into the incident. But uh, Neymar, to his credit, has said that he acted like a fool and should have behaved better. So um, those are your heroes and villains uh, for the Transfer Window podcast. If you agree with us or disagree with us, please get in touch. Um, We'd love to hear your views, as you know, especially Celtic fans who um, have been up in arms, it has to be said, some of them in the last few days with regards to our uh, very um, factual reporting with regards to transfers out of Parkhead, uh, which has been interesting. And uh, apart from that, uh, you can contact us on our social media platforms, which is uh, at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, Duncan is at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm at Garbo SJ. You can get the podcast on all of your usual podcast platforms, as well as, if it suits you better, our YouTube channel. And then you just go onto YouTube, search for Transfer Window Podcast. You'll find it very easily. Many of you already have. Thank you for that. And also, um, if you like what you hear, and we know you do, please pop onto iTunes, give us a five-star review, and the community grows and grows, which it has been doing exponentially over the course of the last almost three years. Uh, and again, we're very grateful to you for that. 
and we want that to continue. Uh, so please um, make sure that we can improve in any way you think, but also we can involve you as much as possible as well. We will be back uh, later this week with the second podcast of the week. Until then, it just leaves me to say, be safe, stay well, and thanks for listening. Can we improve by you renouncing your well-known support for Glasgow Rangers, Ian? Uh, I think everyone who reads my Twitter account or has heard the podcast will know that that would be a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Including our Celtic friends who were quick to accuse me of being, I quote, a hun. Hun McGarry. Hun McGarry, exactly, exactly. There we go. So um, I'll have to um, obviously delete all those tweets where I've put nine shamrocks uh, <laughs> representing the titles in a row. <laughs>